There was a boy who worked in the produce section of a supermarket. And a woman came in and asked to buy a half a head of lettuce. The boy told her they only sell whole heads of lettuce because that's the way that God made them. So the woman replied and said, what do you mean? You mean to tell me that after all these years of shopping here, I can't buy half a head of lettuce? Well, the boy said, let me go check with my manager. So he did, and he walked into the back room, and he said, there's some moron out there who wants to buy only half a head of lettuce. And just as he was finishing saying that, he turned around to find the woman standing right behind him. So he added, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half. <laughs> Later, the manager called the boy and said, you almost got yourself in a lot of trouble earlier. But I must say, I, I was impressed with the way you got yourself out of it. You think on your feet, and we like that around here. Where are you from, son? The boy replied, Minnesota, sir. Oh, really? Why did you leave Minnesota? Asked the manager. The boy replied, well, they only have ugly women and hockey players up there. Really, replied the manager. My wife is from Minnesota. The boy replied, no kidding. What team did she play for? <laughs> it's easy to sympathize with virtually everyone in that story, isn't it? We've all said things we regret or that have gotten us into trouble. And if you're like me, you're not quite as good as getting out of it as this boy was. We've all had other people who have spoken badly about us. Some of them we have um, overheard and some of it we haven't. The reality is that our tongues get us in a lot of trouble. And so, not surprisingly, Jesus had a lot to say about how we speak to one another. And since Jesus is creating this new humanity in this uh, kingdom of heaven, you would expect him to talk about how those human beings speak to one another in that kingdom. And of course he does. And he does in Matthew chapter 12. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
Jesus establishes for us this connection between our words and our souls so that by your words you can know if your soul is in danger. You can know if your soul is in good shape by what comes out of your mouth because there is a connection between your heart and your mouth. And that's really the first thing that Jesus wants to make sure that we see, that your words have an organic connection to your character. Your words spring naturally from your heart. That's what he says in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. There, there is really only a good tree or a bad tree which bears good fruit or another which bears bad fruit. And he's speaking to these Pharisees who consider themselves on the good side of history, on the right side of history, because they identify with the law and they identify with the other religious professionals. And so Jesus is going to have to clarify for them what is good and what is bad. And so, in order to point, to, to make the distinction for them between good and bad, he has to make sure that they recognize that there is an organic connection between the heart and what comes out of your mouth. There's an organic connection between the tree and the fruit, the good fruit that comes from the good tree and the bad fruit that comes from the bad tree. Now, this may seem obvious to you. You get apples from an apple tree. You get cherries from a cherry tree. But it's even more than that, isn't it? You don't just get any apple from an apple tree. You don't... You get Granny Smith apples from a Granny Smith apple tree. You don't get Fuji's from the Granny Smith apple tree. And the only way then to get a different kind of fruit is to change the tree. Because the root determines the fruit. Whatever there is in that tree comes out in the fruit. Now, this is really great news in some level. It's great news because that is the promise that we have from God. This, Jesus came to earth to enact a new covenant between God and His people. And that new covenant suggests that God will take care of the root. In Ezekiel chapter 36, one of the places that God articulates this new promise, this new covenant, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone uh, from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so here we have really the clear indication of the problem. These Pharisees, they don't have this new heart. Their darkened heart 
pours forth words that will condemn them. In fact, uh, when this new covenant promises, I will put my spirit within you, that's the problem they have. They don't have the spirit of God within them. In fact, they have said that Jesus doesn't have the spirit of God. They've in fact said Jesus isn't working by the power of the spirit. Instead, he's working by the power of Satan, which is about the worst thing you can say about Jesus. That's where blasphemy of the Holy Spirit comes from up there in the preceding verses. That's why they will not be forgiven. Ultimately, it is not about their words. They didn't, they didn't accidentally say the wrong thing that causes them to not be forgiven. What they said actually reveals this this hard, impenetrable heart that will not submit to Jesus. That's what's revealed by their words. That's why their condemnation is sure. And what Jesus is telling us here with the fruit and the tree is that you do have a reliable indicator of the type or the nature of the tree. You can tell from the words what kind of tree it is. What kind of fruit comes from what kind of tree. Now these Pharisees have been easier to read than they thought they were, right? We, we look up at, if you look up at verse 25 there, it says, Jesus knowing what was in their, their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts. And you think, oh, that's some sort of Messiah magic. He can do something there that we can't do. He's playing his God card. He's not playing his God card. He knows, he knows what a reliable indicator it is that, yes, in fact, from what they say, you can figure out what is going on in their heart and in their thoughts. It's not magical, in fact. That's what he's doing for us here is he's, he's, sort, of, he's sort of like a magician who's teaching us the trick. These Pharisees have positioned their entire selves against Jesus, and it comes out in their words. Jesus is doing spiritual botany on them. He's saying, here's the fruit. Let me tell you about the tree. And I can hardly overstate this because it shows up in almost every verse in this passage that your words are a reliable indicator of what's going on in your heart. So much so that if you go back to Matthew 7, it, he tells us that you can identify false prophets by their words. And so be careful, of course, what comes out of your heart. And that's the next thing that he makes sure that we see very, very clearly. Verse 34 and 35, your words spring from the overflow of your heart. Look at verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so Jesus is still exposing these Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. Making sure that they realize they can't say anything different than they've already said because that's within their heart. Their, their hearts are evil, so they're going to have blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that comes out. The nature dictates what comes out of their mouths. Now, before I leave the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which they, these Pharisees had done, I, I just want to step back a second and suggest to you that there is the possibility of what we might call noble pagans. And by that, I mean people who do not trust in Jesus, but are really, really good at holding their tongue. They don't say anything. They're very measured. Some people even like what they have to say. It's not just that every awful person says every awful thing. There are some who do better at it than others. But if they do not trust Jesus as he uh, lived, died, and rose again, they too are setting their entire selves against Jesus, just like these Pharisees did. And they have the same problem the Pharisees did. It is possible, in other words, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and not say terrible things. Let me say it that way. But this is Jesus' summary statement. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil say anything good? That's, he's talking about them. And then, unfortunately, he becomes much more general, much more broad. I mean, I'm happy, right, for him to like tell the Pharisees, like, you get what you have coming to you. Yeah, this is your deal here. I'm happy for that to be set in a safely historical setting where it only bothers the Pharisees. But you'll notice there a shift, won't you? That the very next thing, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is not a specifically Pharisaical problem. He is telling them, he is telling them, but everyone else who's listening, even us, that one of the things that is generally true about human nature is that whatever's going on in your heart comes out your mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That your words bubble out from your heart. Your heart, of course, is the seat of your physical, spiritual, and mental life. It's the center of your whole inner being. Your thinking, feeling, and volition find its, their roots in your heart. And so what's going on internally finds this external expression in your words. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a, the picture is that of a spring that is constantly, constantly sending up new water, and pretty soon it overflows whatever little basin there may be because the spring just continues to put forth water. And that water that overflows then is water that is very much like the water that's deep down in the spring. 
that it tastes like it, looks like it, it's the same water. And so it's just only the right thing probably to pause and to ask, what are the spontaneous things that bubble out of your mouth? After all, Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Does anger bubble out of your heart? Are there things that you say in anger that you wish you wouldn't say? I've seldom known someone, really, who can't find a tool that maybe their kids used or their wife misplaced or something. And they have this little conversation. Hmm, I wonder if I should be upset about this. Nobody does that, do they? It's like, what? Why is this not here? I can't believe it. They did it again. Now, if you're in luck, you're all by yourself when that happens. But too often... There's lots of collateral damage, isn't there? But what does, that, what does that say? It's important that you recognize it's not just the anger, but the anger reveals what's in the heart. Reveals a heart that's been hurt and hasn't dealt with the hurt or healed from it. It may reveal a heart that is focused only on itself and hates to be inconvenienced. Or there could be any number of other things that it tells you about your heart. Or what about complaining? Sometimes complaining bubbles out, doesn't it? Now, I will admit, some, some complaining is premeditated. Uh, I've received some of that. But most of it just bubbles out. Most of it comes when people give you a piece of their mind that they can't afford to um, get rid of, really. And they'll just say, well, why do we have to do it your way? Or I like the way we used to do it better. Or there's a thousand other criticisms or complaints, but they too reveal what's in the heart. And it's important you recognize that. They come from a heart that maybe self-centered or angry or a heart that's secure in the way things used to be, not a heart that's secure in Christ. Or maybe gossip. If you're like me, you don't really premeditate your gossip. It just bubbles out. Sometimes I'll start a story and then I'll become careless about my story and I'll say more than I should. And it reveals a lot about my heart. It reveals a heart, maybe, that's competitive or insecure and feels somehow better when other people look worse. Or maybe it just reveals a lazy heart where I don't care enough to curb my story. Or maybe it reveals a heart that wants to please people in the hope that maybe they'll like me better if my story has a little more punch to it. Because the words percolate up from my heart and they make their way out spontaneously. 
the writer of the book of James, the brother of Jesus, had very much the same thing to say. I don't know, maybe they had conversations about this when they were boys. Maybe they lived near a spring or an orchard. But he said in James chapter 3, verse 10, he said, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so this spontaneous bubbling forth of my heart shows up in my words. And if that were the only problem, we'd be, well, we'd be halfway there maybe. But there's another problem. The other problem is just as significant, and that is that some of our words are premeditated, and they too reveal what's in our heart. It's like somebody showing off one of their uh, prized possessions. Look at verse 35. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. My picture of this is really the, you have someone over to your house maybe and you get talking about something and it's, it's a conversation that you are really, you're really having a good time in this conversation, but they trigger something. It reminds you of something that you have up in your attic or stored down in your basement, depending on your house, right? And so you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me show you this. And you run up there and you rummage through the attic and you get what it is and you come down and you say, here. And you show what you had in your attic, your treasure. Maybe it's a family album or an old keepsake. Maybe it's an old piece of clothing that tells a funny story. It doesn't really matter. The point is this. You can't bring something out that you didn't already have. It was already the treasure was already in the attic before you brought it down. And so the key there is to cultivate the right kind of treasure, to have the right kind of thing in that attic so that when you run it up, it's a good thing you bring down instead of a bad thing that you bring down. Again, Jesus speaks to this uh, in Matthew 6. He said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where th thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you do have control over what kind of treasure you lay away, what kind of treasure then you pull out when you premeditate your words. Now, probably worth pausing again to say where do people generally premeditate their words? I'm just gonna say this. You don't have to post on social media. That's optional. You don't accidentally do it. But what you do post there does say a ton about your heart. It may say good things, good treasure. You have a sense of humor, the ability to laugh at yourself, that you're humble. 
may say that you want to compare yourself with other people and may display a heart of pride or insecurity that needs the approval of other people rather than the approval of Christ. Or perhaps you express your opinion on social media, and it isn't just your life, it's your opinion. And you express it in a way that signals your virtue so that you can fly the flag of the tribe that you want to be identified with. It says more, really, than you intend for it to say. Of course, there are emails and texts that are, um, don't happen by accident either. And they reveal what's in your heart. I hope they reveal that you're careful about your words, that you take time to recognize that the people who are going to receive those receive them in different contexts than you send them in. That the people at the other end are more important than yourself. So you'll wait. You'll measure, you'll take care before you send something off. I think another place this happens is when people just use crude language and don't think too much about it. Ephesians 5 says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Guess what? The problem with that isn't the words themselves. It doesn't matter if they only have four letters or if they have more. What matters is that they show what's in your heart. Then how can you have filthy words and a clean heart? Or Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so, unchecked, you're just putting a billboard up about what kind of heart there is inside of you. Because out of the good treasure, you bring good words. Out of the filthy treasure, you bring filthy words. I'm kind of committed here already, okay? I hope you understand that. So I'll just keep going. It's important that you know that your words, even to yourself, open a window in your soul. You do talk to yourself, don't you? Tell me it's not just me. But you miss a turn and you have a few words with yourself or you make a mistake when you're doing a home project and you're like, ah. guess what? That is a great indicator of what's going on in your heart. In fact, that might be the only way you really can identify what's going on in your own soul. Because what you mutter to yourself uh, when you make a mistake or stub your toe or do something like reveals your heart. In other words, do you believe that you must be perfect in order to have value or be loved? Does your heart feel like it should have control over every circumstance? 
even though you never will. I mean, those and hundreds of other things make their way out in words when they're residing there in your heart. So let me make one other application of this too. Parents, as you are raising your children, it is really important that you keep your eye on the ball, which means you're going to have an eye on your child's heart. What's going on in their little hearts really are your primary concern because uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You want life for your child, you're going to pay attention to their heart. And their words are such a key indicator for you of what is going on in that little heart as you seek to shepherd them into faith in Jesus. The good news is you also have the opportunity to fill their little treasure chests with treasure that they can bring out that is good. And so paying attention to the fountain or the spring of life that is in this child that comes out in their words will be helpful to you as you help them follow Jesus. Now clearly, whether it's your words to yourself or your words to other people or other people's words to you, I mean, hopefully even as you receive words from people, you'll recognize there's more going on in that heart than those words would tell me. Or they help me understand this person in a different way. And so Jesus is very clear that there is this organic connection, this unmissable connection between your words and your heart. So much so that he can say in verses 36 and 37 that your words will be the basis for your justification or your condemnation. Look at verse 36 and 7. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Is there any more frightful prospect than having to give account for every careless word. I don't think so. <laughs> I think that is, I mean, I, I cringe at things I say all the time, but to think that they will be, in some regard, the basis for judgment is really frightening for me. Again, you see, that's why that's why the words of these Pharisees will condemn them when they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. That's true, and it's true for everyone. He says every person will give account. And so what is the account of, or that, of those words? Either you'll be justified or you'll be condemned. It's going to work out well or it's not going to work out. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. By your words, you'll be justified. You can't say that. I've heard all my life that I'm justified by faith in Jesus. Can't tell me I'm justified by my words. How quickly we forget 
how quickly we forget the organic connection between our words and our heart. When you get a new heart, new words come out. And it is such a reliable indicator that based on the words, you can evaluate the heart. That's, that's what's going to happen. It, in fact, it's one more example that the Lord cares about your heart, that the symptoms of a heart that is still hard will be words that will condemn. The symptom of a heart that has been reborn will be words that justify. After all, I mean, we know this. The Lord sees not as man sees, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And one of the ways he sees the heart is through the words that people say. And so the symptoms are so reliable that God can identify the symptoms and render judgment. Now that's really bad news for the Pharisees. But how does a Christian interact with the prospect of judgment on every careless word, really? Let me remind you <clears throat> that this is not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty so that somehow you treat only the symptoms. But rather, as you make a mistake, as you repent and come back to Jesus, you, these words that come out of your mouth give you opportunity to rehearse the good news of Jesus. The good news that that sin that, you just, that just escaped your mouth can be forgiven by Jesus. In fact, in Colossians, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, even the trespasses of our words, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Those words that would condemn you have been nailed to the cross of Jesus. And, and every time they escape, that's where you go to. You go back to the gospel. You go back and you plead the blood of Jesus. Not merely to forgive what has already escaped, but to cleanse and to change what is still there in the heart so that it, something different escapes next time. Because what escapes is a reliable indicator of what's inside. And so you just need to know that I preach this sermon with great fear and humility. James 3, uh, chapter 3, tells me that I should. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his own or his whole body. And I know I've spent most of my time talking about the problems that our tongues cause us. But I want to remind you that our tongue can serve the opposite purpose as well. It is our tongues that express our trust in Jesus. In fact, they must. If you trust Jesus, they must. In fact, Romans 10.10 says that. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now those are not two things, like I can believe the right thing, and then if I say the magic words, I'm good to go if I do both. That's not the point. The point is, if you believe, it will come out in confession of Christ. It will come out in the expression of faith, in the forgiveness of Christ, and in the cleansing that Christ offers, and it will express itself in faith that God will give you that new heart and will remodel your soul so that different things come out. And so it's my hope and my prayer, not that you will feel guilty and treat symptoms, but rather that every single thought that you have about the words that come out will remind you of the new covenant promise of God that he will take out your heart of stone and he will give you a heart of flesh. That God himself is committed to treating the cause, not just the symptoms. And so don't you treat the symptoms by merely trying harder, but rather let God transform your heart. Let God establish your treasure in heaven so that what you bring out is a good treasure. And good words bubble forth from your clean heart. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is uh, it's hard, it's hard to talk about talking. And Father, I'm sure that every person here can recall things they've said that they wish they hadn't said. Father, don't let us be content with the quality of speech that we currently have. Would you continue to remodel our hearts, continue to make us new, clean us so that clean things come out? And Father, I know I need that. I know that all of us need you to make us right. And we will trust then that the right things will come out of us. So would you help us, I pray, to trust you, and to express that trust and our confidence that Jesus is our Savior and has taken our sins. We pray this in his name. Amen.